This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 176 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands-On Gloves, all-in-one shedding, bathing, grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have one after another after another of champions who love their horses. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st of the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We had some fun putting this one together. I can't believe how many cool people we got all in packed into one episode. This is jam-packed. I think this might be the <sighs> best guest wrangling you've done yet because our first interview today is with not one not two not but three real movers and shakers in the reined cow horse world it was a fascinating conversation for me to listen to because i'm an outsider looking in i'm not all that familiar with reined cow horse and it it really gives you a feel for the the passion and the mission that got that discipline and that culture started and it, it was really interesting because it's and it's also very generational because yes. monty was there when it really got started and he was already a accomplished horseman when it got started and then you have zane and Corey, who are current champions in yes. the discipline and it's it's a very interesting conversation to listen to i thought so too i mean whenever you can get two um guys that have accomplished they won the actual title of world's greatest horseman and in futurity open champions and million dollar men both of them are million dollar riders and Corey actually is just surpassed he he went into the next stratosphere which is two million dollar um men and you know what they talk about their horses and i love that i love that they don't even know how much they want they're like little kids listening to them you're gonna love this conversation everybody because they're like little kids talking about their horses so and let's not delay because after we chat with zane and Corey and monty we're going to also chat with christy waisaki who is an accomplished dressage judge and competitor and chat a little bit about how she's really embracing technology to help dressage enthusiasts and riders in general keep learning when it's tough to get out to horse shows and clinics. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary, new, all-in-one, shedding, bathing, grooming tool, hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles, and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. They are easy to clean, and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. Hands-On is changing the way we bathe, de-shed, and groom our animals forever. 
hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. Our first guest is Zane Davis. He's the son of a saddle bronc rider and rodeo producer, Sean Davis. Zane grew up around horses and cattle. And while in high school, he dabbled in the racehorse world as well, breaking and exercising thoroughbreds on the track. Although he has said he doesn't regret the teenage growth spurt, which made him unsuited as a jockey, Zane Davis was Monty Roberts' first tour rider for a couple of years. And then Zane went on to win not only several snaffle bit fraternity open championships he also won in 2019 and 20 the fraternity open reserve champion and the world's greatest horseman reserve champion aboard ruby's radar he is an nrcha million dollar rider next we have Corey cushing on the same interview first professional breakthrough came in 1999 at the national reigning horse association's fraternity and when he was a 19 year old trainer, he won the NRHA Fraternity Intermediate Open Championship and qualified for the Open Finals aboard Twice as Shiny. And people remember that horse. Beautiful. As his career steadily progressed, Cushing's reign cow horse accomplishments moved into his spotlight. Cushing credits his family and friends and mentors for guiding his success. And then in 2018, Cushing became the third National Rain Cow Horse Association $2 million rider, piloting four horses to the 2018 NRCHA Snaffle Bit Fraternity Finals, and then capturing the win and $125,000 paycheck aboard SJR Diamond Mist, Cushing's third Snaffle Bit Fraternity Championship title and second time crossing the seven-figure milestone. Monty Roberts is The Man Who Listens to Horses. His first book and his autobiography, The Man Who Listens to Horses, sold over six million copies and remained on the New York Times bestseller list for 58 weeks. Recently named Horse and Hound Magazine's The Global Top 50 Horsemen of the World, Monty Roberts is an icon as well. You guys are in for a delight to hear how much horsemanship they have at their fingertips. It's the old saying of they have forgotten more than we'll ever learn. So I wanted to start today. I wanted to have these three gentlemen on because they've done so much for the the direction, I'll call it, of the NRCHA, which is the National Rain Cow Horse Association. A lot of our listeners have have joined into that discipline in the last, oh gosh, just 10 years. It's just grown off the charts. So I'd like to start with you, Corey, as our fearless leader in the NRCHA and ask you a little bit about the humble beginnings of the NRCHA, not a whole history lesson, but just how far has it come in the last 50 years? It, it's been quite a ride to say the least you know when i first got involved it was uh back in 98 when i was working for john slack and todd bergen you know at that time you know those guys benny Gatron, um john ward's uh father greg ward um you know i mean they were the kings of it you know and there was a lot of other people that i'm that i'm forgetting at this time but a lot of those guys i looked to up to as heroes and they were at the top of their game and as you know as time goes on it's very, very interesting to me to watch every year, whether it be at the Snaffle Bid or the World Show or World's Greatest even, you know, of something spectacular get put together, whether it be down the fence, the herd work, the rain work, or a combination of all four 
how, you know, each year you might see something a little bit different or a little bit better, but in that moment, in that time, you don't think it could ever look any better than what you're seeing right there live. So that's what's exciting for me is, you know, how great the riders are these days, how great the horses are. And, and to me, that's, that's what drives me and keeps me moving forward is, you know, there's, you know, there's so many great competitors out there and I've got to keep moving forward and moving on. And so many have been such a help to me along the way. Um, that's, uh, that's what really strives me to, you know, get up and get going and, you know, just the pure love of the horse anyway. Well, that's why you're on here and that's why you're a champion. It's amazing. And Zane, how exciting is it to grow up with some of these legends too? I know that you are the son of a, a bronc rider. We, we introduced you as such, um, your, your father, rodeo, rodeo producer as well, Sean Davis, but you really have uh, grown up and and uh, become a man in this industry too. How fun has it been for you to see this generational jump? You're old enough now to know that this is going to be a transition generational thing. Yeah, I I grew up around horses. I my background is completely different than most of the people that I compete against. I mean, I never competed in a rain cow horse event until I was 34 years old, and and the first introduction I ever had to it at all was at Monty's house we were during El Nino in 99. He took me out and had me fence a gelding, crooked-legged gelding that he had. I didn't know what fencing was. And he said, just ride it at that fence hard, and we're going to try to get it to run straight and slide into the fence. Well, anything that at a fence that hard, without my experience, either jumped it or ran through it. <laughs> and so it was a, it was a, that was my first and only experience with any green cow horse thing until I turned about 34, which is about six years later. And so, but just since I've been involved, I think the thing is, and Corey touched on it a little bit at the end, um, the quality of competitor and the quality of horse, even in the last four or five years has been unbelievable. And the change in that, in that short amount of time has been unbelievable. And I think that's probably what I've seen the most in the growth. I think the addition of the, the uh, high school rodeo rain cow horse has been a, a great thing for our industry, but the the level of com- competition has grown and has been growing ever since I started um, every single year. Mm. And that challenges you, yeah? Does that challenge you to get better? Yeah, if you want to win, it does. You know, mm-hmm. I because I when I started, I didn't even know what class was in, and I showed an illegal equipment the first place I went and had no <laughs> help. I mean, that day at Monty's <laughs> was my only day of ever doing anything until I showed up at the show. And if you want to get better, you know, being a 33-year-old rookie was tough enough. But if you want to stay on top, I mean, I have to continually start or continually make changes in everything I do or, you know, you get left behind. Well, that brings you to Monty, who's seen this a little bit longer than all of us. So, Dad, I was wondering, what do you see in the changes of, of the horses themselves, the physical horse itself over the years? Well, the physical horse has changed and. You know, there's no question that breeding has has been a part of it. But I don't care how you breed them up, down, sideways. I don't care how good they are when they hit the ground athletically. They're producing them now with horsemanship that's incredibly better than it was when I was going down the road. You know, when I was going down the road, I was was marking and I won 11 world championships. Big deal. I'm going down the road. Clyde Kennedy once marked me a 78. Yeah. And I think I marked two 78s and some 77s. I'm telling you that those runs wouldn't have won third at your small shows today. And what I, what I wanted to see was horses that wanted to do it. 
And now what I'm seeing because of the new NRCHA, they have changed. And the horses clearly want to do it. And I watched a guy the other day win a world championship. That is the other day, about a year ago. It was your one before this one. I watched him run down through there and lay the 11s down like, I mean, incredible without touching the reins. And then what did he do? His hat was going to come off, so he just sat there, kind of put his reins down and adjusted his hat for about 30 seconds. <laughs> we would have been zeroed out in my day for that. And no horse would have stood there. They'd have been doing a dance around there like you can't believe. Today, horses are doing it because they want to, not because they're forced to. And that's why I sat down with the Queen of England and talked to her about this new organization that was moving forward in the things that I wrote my first book about, which got me, Corey, good to meet you this way and talk to you. I couldn't be a more proud human being than I am of Zane Davis, Ron Rawls, Philip Rawls, and now Patty Rawls, for crying out loud. And I would ask, Corey, was that sponsored by the NRCHA too? You know what? It wasn't, but you know, last year was the first year they had it. And, uh, and to back you up, a huge congratulations to Patty. Um, you know, it was right here in my backyard. Unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to get down there, but I heard enough feedback from enough people that that is, that was something pretty incredible. You know, the excitement, the energy, the horse enthusiasts out there all the way around. I mean, you know, the rain cow horse is nothing easy. And, you know, when you step in there and no matter what event you're going to do, you better be one with your horse and you better understand how he thinks, how he feels, you know, how you're going to set something up because it, it, it's a team effort. It's just not me sitting up there and saying, you're going to go do this. I need to, I need to be better as a rider so that you've got all the faith in me and understand what your job is, but I'm going to put you in the best possible position and, you know, if I don't feel like I got a team player underneath me nine times out of ten, it's uh, it's not going to happen. And you guys have to know how good you are, and and what's happening because of the influence that you've had on uh, setting the rules up to create a better horse, and it's happening. Yeah, Corey. Yeah, well, did did you receive that letter? I'm I'm curious about that too myself. Yes, yes, I, I did, and I was just letting Monty finish. I did receive that. It showed up right about the end of November, sometime in there, and uh, when we had our budget meeting in December, it was handed to me by the girls in the office, and I opened it and uh, read it to the whole board and to the office staff, and it was something that at first, you know, they all were kind of looking at me like, you know, what's what's going on, and then, you know, when I passed it around and everyone got to uh, – you know, read it and see that this is a for real thing. Um, you know, it made everyone sit up a little bit taller because, uh, you know, we do all take pride in our horses. You know, there's uh, intense moments and tough days, and these horses go through a lot. But, you know, when you sit back and look at, you know, what the board does, what those girls in the office do, our whole team, you know, our, uh, our, our exhibitors, our, you know, members as a whole, you know, it's, it, it's a big family. And uh, that letter is now uh, framed and inside our office. And with this next issue of the Rain Cow Horse coming out, it was, you know, there was a picture taken of it and posted inside my letter 
and talked a lot about, you know, what this means to the NRCHA and hats off to everyone that something like this would be addressed to us, the association. So it is something that we're very, very proud of. And, you know, we do our best every single day to only keep the NRCHA moving forward and and uh, through the tough times, the good times. And, you know, it is uh, it is something very special to be to be a part of right now. I'll tell you what, it'll be my promise to you. And uh, even if I've got to get a hold of you after our talk here to uh, make sure she gets uh, the Rain Cow Horse magazine and, and see that in there and we'll send her, you know, her own copy. And hopefully she can she can look at that. And uh, there's enough words expressed there that, you know, she understands our thanks for what she has done for all of the horse industry and, um, you know, how it only brought a lot of smiles to the association because, um, you know, even though some people may not hear about it as much as others, I can promise you that everyone in that office, anyone involved and, uh, you know, takes it all very seriously and it doesn't go uh, unnoticed that, um, you know, the whether we're, um, you know, on a proof show of something or we're putting something on that, you know, there's a lot of hard work and, and uh, efforts that, um, you know, create this great event and this association. Well, thank you very much for that. And please, please know that uh, you got us behind you. And uh, Zane, how much did you win? (laughs) I never did add it up. I I think about 125,000, something like that. um, You know what I love about that? I never did add it up. Why, (laughs) I'd have been sitting here adding that thing up every night. (laughs) Uh, I love that, well, Zane. I love that it was more important to you to take it home than it was much, to count it. Yeah. How much did Philip win? Oh. I, if I'm supposed to know the answer, I didn't even right. know what I won. Yeah, I can't honestly tell you either, um, you know, how, how much he won. You know, I will say that, um, you know, this, it, it, it was sure an incredible finals, the adrenaline, the energy, and, you know, with some changes and some moves here in the last couple of years. And, you know, this association is just continuing to grow. You know, the payouts are getting better at our budget meeting. There's, there's over, uh, because it, with as tough a year as it has been, um, you know, with COVID and whatnot, um, you know, the success at our shows were way, way up as far as it being, you know, making a little bit of money. And then rather than taking that money and, you know, just leaving it sit in the bank account, we took a little over a hundred thousand and added it to all the shows, you know, or numerous shows where it best seemed fit. And, um, you know, when we can talk about the open all day long, but, um, I know that $40,000 of that went directly to, uh, like, the non-pro limited classes, the, the boxing classes. Um, you know, that I think one premier event is going to be at the, the Stallion Stakes in Vegas, and the other one will be at the Snaffles at Saturday. So that's what we, you know, as we sit down as a group, that's where, we're, you know, we're putting focus at where, what grows us. You know, these people, whether they're coming in or they've been involved for a long time, if they've been involved for a long time, a lot of them have got, you know, open horses competing there. And, you know, due to their, uh, um, you know, their, their their comfort levels, I guess I should say, you know, that's a class that they can stand for an awfully long time that they can come and enjoy themselves. Well, you know, money is, is one thing. Um, but congratulations to the organization because they figured out that when there's enough money in it, and, you know, Zane said 125000 something like that. 
And I'm not sure I won that much in my whole career. And talking about winning world championships, when I was going down the road, you, you probably know, you're old enough to know that uh, I was showing against 18 or 20, maybe even up to 30 horses in, in one class and uh, thinking it was a, a tough go. And here's the thing where you, you got tens of thousands of horses that are coming in now, and it's just unbelievable. I think you had over a thousand horses show in your finals this year. Is that not correct? You know, I think we sold right close to a thousand stalls. How many actual entries? I'm not sure. Last, not, not this past year in 20, but in 19, it was our largest fraternity that we've ever had. I want to say there was about 350 horses altogether. I think if I was to guess, and please don't quote me on this, I would want to say it was right around the 280, 290, you know, all divisions, including. So, you know, the growth, you know, every year, every, you know, people are excited about the Snafflebit fraternities, but, you know, the derbies are getting so much bigger. The horse show classes, I mean, our biggest problem right now is having enough days to where we're, we can start at, you know, a nice num or a nice hour at eight o'clock in the morning, but be done by five or six at night, because let's face it, you know, there's, there's some training that needs to be done in between events. And, you know, if we're not getting done till midnight, you know, 11 o'clock, it's tough on the judges. It's tough on us as competitors, but, you know, looking at this as a whole, as a, as a whole uh, equine industry, you know, so many big events are taking place and we have to find a location that, can hold an event like ours and you know we can we can sell it like we want to and we have been you know putting on events to where everyone's comfortable the ground's good the stalls are good you know just to just to make it better to you know protect these you know horses exhibitors and for the members or owners that want to show up and uh, and just enjoy it for what it is so it's been well great. i for one I, for one, and there's tens of thousands of us out there that say congratulations for what you're doing. And and looking back on my thing, when I was going down the road and showing with Don Dodge and Greg Ward was my student at the time, you know, I started Greg Ward on Blackie. He paid $350 for him at Cal Poly in 1954. And uh, Greg saddle. is just a, a fantastic example of, um, my past career and you know when we were going down the road there was no place for the amateur to go and and go in rain cow horse classes there was no place for the wives to go like uh patty has done recently there was no place for them and now n not only that but the horses have such a better life now than they had when when we were going and I, for one, want to congratulate you and all those people that you're connected with uh, to figure this thing out and to move it like it's gone. Yeah, I, well, I want to. Yeah, I want to thank you all, all three of you champions, for being on today too. And I and I want to have you back on the next accomplishment, which will probably be really soon. You guys are doing amazing things in all different areas, but the winner here is the horse. I think the horse comes out on top in this whole effort to make all these things that you talked about today greater. So uh, thank you for joining us on Horsemanship Radio today, and I'd love to have you back. Zane, give your family you the best for me. I will, and, and quickly, I, um, I know there's some time constraints. Ron Rawls and I have had this conversation, but I was very fortunate to work with, with Monty. Uh, 
everything that ever happened good to me in the horse business, I can trace back to my time with him and what he did for me. And I, it was an unbelievable experience, and I wouldn't have gotten what success that I have wouldn't have been for him. So, and I know Ron felt the same way. So, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Imagine if you could take Monty to the barn with you. Watch and learn as he addresses each challenge with your horse and answers your questions, too. You head to the arena and you work on each new lesson, knowing Monty's there to encourage you, all with violence-free, tried-and-true methods. After all, he's been helping train horse lovers all his life. With his online university, you could be like Kathy, a retired teacher who just brought her first horse. Recently, I went to a tax shop to look for a smaller halter. I'm 61, just purchased my 14 hands POA the day after my birthday, just a few weeks ago, after never having had a horse. And yes, that's crazy, but as a retired teacher who never had a hobby other than teaching, I decided to go for it. My hubby and I have taken lessons this past year, but I really longed for a relationship with a horse. Um, The only other experience I'd ever had was to ride a horse in Philly, Pennsylvania, my hometown, when I was 16, and I got bucked off, and that was it, (laughs) until I was 61. Um, Well, the owner of this tax shop, um, this is Precious Lady, 84-year-old lady, gave me a copy of this magazine, Equine Monthly, and the article I read in it was Horses Are Biofeedback Beings, and it was just so interesting. I really felt like I just found a pot of gold when I read it. Because in it, it talked about Monty's online university and that I could have access to 575 videos for $10 a month. And before that, I was just searching YouTube for everything I could find. But truthfully, that's just a pain. Um, I love that the uni videos are concise and they're in order. Um, They have extra notes and a quiz. And I just can't thank you enough for the huge blessing of your online university really has changed my life and I will never be the same. Um, I've had my horse Jack now for seven weeks and thanks to the videos I've done join up with him and it really worked like a dream. Uh, I had to do it in an arena, but it still worked thanks to Monty's lessons and the cues and the hand signals. Um, The ability to watch the lessons over and over on demand is incredible. So I also want to thank you so very much for making the online university affordable for this retired teacher. Thank you so much for all that you do for everyone who really wants to love a horse. Kathy. Christy Wysocki is an FEI four-star dressage judge, an FEI five-star para-dressage judge, and the dressage sport horse judge, instructor, and consultant extraordinaire. She pivoted during COVID and helped experts in her industry to navigate judging horse shows in 2020. In addition, she has created a course online that launched in this January of 2021 that has been very well received. Well, welcome, Christy Wysocki. I am so excited to have you on. I got this this little email from a mouse that said, boy, this is a great interview, this Christy Wysocki. You've got to talk to her about 2020. How are you doing right now? I'm doing good. I'm getting ready to head to San Diego to do a four-day clinic. So I'm packing suitcases and organizing to walk out the door this afternoon, but I'm doing good. 
Goodness. Well, that's great to hear people traveling in 2021. Here we sit on the very cusp of the very beginning of 2021, and we all know what 2020 was all about. And I wanted to have you on because not only are you a high-level four-star dressage judge, a five-star para-dressage judge, just have a huge background, but you're also an interesting character, too. <laughs> you you uh, come I've been called that before. <laughs> see? Is and it's a good thing. But you have some engineering in your background. I know it's been a couple of decades since you've been out of that, but that you turned your sights on horses. So I wanted to start with what was your horsey background before you were an engineer? Did you grow up with horses? I crawled up on the back of a horse when I was five or six years old and never came back down off. <laughs> it does I I was lucky in the neighborhood I grew up in that we lived at the base of a mountain and had trail rides everywhere. And every kid in the neighborhood back then could have a horse. They didn't cost what they do now. And we played on our horses. I mean, we got on and didn't get off till the day was over. We were so fortunate to have that experience as a kid. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I didn't get into any, I, I started eventing when I was about 11 or 12 and did that through my teens. And then when I went to engineering school, I went to Colorado School of Mines. I didn't really ride except in the summers because that school is um, beyond intense. Mm-hmm. And then when I came out of school, I went to Alaska of all places to work and they didn't have eventing up there. So I decided, oh, I'll be here a couple of years. I'll just work on my dressage and get better at it. I thought dressage was the necessary evil at that point in my career. And when I started really actually focusing on it, I fell in love with it when I really started understanding what it was all about and the, the idea that you can train a horse to respond when you basically just think something is pretty magical and it got me hooked. Wow, you sound like Charlotte Bradal, a dear friend of ours who says you think just think sit, think trot, think walk and and the horse knows those little muscle twitches in there. What's your theory on how do horses know that? I really think that, um, and I, te- I really am a believer in teaching this way too, not only in my riding, but also in my teaching, that if the rider, the rider needs to, to think like a horse when they're riding. If we think like humans, we get in our own way and we definitely get in the horse's way because they, they function off of body language. And so if I use my body language correctly, which means I have to think about what I want to do next, not think about what I don't want, then my body language will tell that horse what I want without me having to do, have a big event and conduct an orchestra. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Charlotte Dujeron looks like she's up there waiting for someone to serve her tea. And the reason is because her body language is so well refined that that horse can sense what she wants without it looking like she's done anything. And that's the ultimate goal for all of us. So what comes first, the the horse and your partnership or your ability as a rider to project that and become a partner with the horse? For me, it's always been, I guess, my, uh, my passion and my love for the horse, I think I think I've developed bonds with every horse just from the get-go. I mean, even when I've gone to, to 
buy horses, the ones that I've come home with, I've known within a couple of minutes that we would we would make it together. And even though, I mean, the first FEI horse I ever sat on, I felt like a kid who had flown a Cessna that had just been handed a 747. I, the only button I could push was the passage button, and I couldn't find the off button. You couldn't find the off button. I, I and passaged and passaged. I was like, where do you turn it off? And they all just said, smile and wave, have fun. <laughs> but it, it, you, you, uh, for me, it's always been the, the emotional bond with them. And then I've had to train, learn. I was not necessarily a natural rider in terms of being a perfect dressage rider. I had to work hard at it. But because of my bond with the horse, it gave me a lot of incentive to do it right. Because when you do do it with the minimal aids and you do ride them magically off your seat, it, I've never tried any drug out there, but they can't top that, I'm sure. <laughs> I know it. It's, just, it's an amazing high to have a horse just sense that and and do, I mean, I've had horses that I think would have walked through fire for me because they believed in me so much. And to have that relationship with an animal is, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say you're not a natural, this is a person who has earned a bronze, a silver, a gold at the USDF competition. So I know that you've worked yourself to a very high level, but do you think sometimes that the person, it doesn't just come completely naturally to and has to work harder than maybe some? Do you become a better teacher that way? I do think sometimes it makes us a better teacher because we had to learn it and didn't just naturally do it from the get-go. And so when a rider is struggling with something, oftentimes I see myself at some stage of my riding development. And I think it does make it a little bit um a little bit more uh, not precise but um more empathetic to the rider and i can give them more details of like i don't even use the word half fault which is probably the most used word in the dressage community but i don't think it's a value when i teach people because there's there's more definitions of the half fault than there are moments on a horse because every half fault is entirely different. And I prefer to tell the rider exactly, you know, you need more inside leg. You need a little bit of play on your outside finger. You need to move your seat more. You, you, you didn't keep moving in your seat when you wanted the horse to go and that kind of thing, because I think there's too much mystery in our sport. And I don't like mystery. I like, I like to understand what I'm doing and I want my students to understand what they're doing because that's when you can have that magic with the horse and you can do them, tell them so quietly what you want that they do respond as if you did nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love the, the word mystery, taking the mystery out of it too. So many trainers, I mean, I'm old enough to know better now that in the 80s and 90s, you're so intimidated by your trainers and you, obviously you're paying them. So you want them to be the professional. So why would you you know, question anything? But I love that teachers these days are allowing students to ask more questions and to take the mystery out of it. Um, it sounds like you definitely lean 
that way. And you've had students uh, from all levels, you, you beginners to FEI. So how do you improve a trail ride? How do you help students make a better trail ride? Well, I think the thing that people forget is uh, dressage a lot of times gets labeled as that discipline with all the tricks, which mm-hmm. it does have a lot of tricks, quote unquote, in it. But if the training is good, if it's classical training, those tricks aren't really tricks anymore. They're, they all originated as battle movements. The training right. for the horse in dressage was created 300 BC by Xenophon and his friends um, to prepare to go to battle. And it, it, knowing the history of that is actually quite fascinating and can actually make men find dressage more interesting. So mm-hmm. for <laughs> women out there whose husbands find it boring, buy them that book. <laughs> <laughs> and, but anyway, it, I think the thing is, and I have jumper students and I have eventing students, and I think the thing that's important to remember is it's the training of the horse. And if you train the horse correctly, then they can do whatever job it is you apply to them. And I think one of the biggest things to help someone who, for instance, who wants to trail ride uh, and, you know, and not necessarily do any particular discipline, quote unquote, um, I think is to give them the tools in their toolbox where they have the confidence to go out on a trail and feel that they do have this partnership with this, 1200 pound orangutan that (laughs) if you know if a deer jumps out from a bush that the two of them can handle it as a team Mm -hmm. and one of the things I've really specialized in in the last couple years I've actually spent a lot of time training in it is working on the the specifics of fear and self-doubt and self-confidence while riding and understanding the physiology of it better so that I can help the rider better in the heat of the moment. And I love teaching people to do a really good pirouette and to teach them the piaf. Those are magical moments. But I have to say the most magical moments I've had teaching have been when I've had a rider that went very high on the scale of fear. And in a matter of seconds, we were able to bring them back down to neutral and breathing and back to a partnership with the horse. And by the end of the ride, laughing and having a good time. And the next day, believing that they could ride the horse and that, that they they could overcome their fear versus traditionally, a lot of times trainers, I had it done to me. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Well, that doesn't matter <laughs> if the person is afraid person is afraid you know and you have to work through the fear you can't just bury it and and I think that's why dressage training can help riders of any discipline is because it is the correct training of the horse right correct and understanding of the horse too so I I love that answer thank you 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 have done I know it's a COVID here and it's probably fatigue of talking of COVID, but you did some remarkable things. You help some experts in the industry to navigate getting four horse shows done in 2020 when everyone was saying it couldn't happen. And people were really wanting horse shows too. So we were trying to behave and and figure out how to do this. But what did you do to, to figure out how to do it? 
Well, I was involved um, with the U.S. Dressage Federation end of things on specifically trying to determine what protocols would have to be in place in order for horse shows to be held again. The U.S. Equestrian Federation, of course, the governing body, they had to come up with many, many, many presidential modifications to all the rules because we basically were going to have to break a lot of rules in order to have horse shows. And, and then we also had to add in some additional requirements. So I was on one of the task force in helping to work through that part of it, specific to the dressage shows. And I'm also the chair of the sport horse committee for USDF, which is related to the, the breeding stock and the young horses. <clears throat> and um, so we also had to work through, could we have the breed shows in the showing the horses in hand and that kind of thing. And then I, I actually uh, participated in four shows um, after that protocol was established and um, some of the shows did decide to go forward. And the shows I was involved in were run very, very well. And um, the safety measures I thought were taken, everybody took it very seriously. The competitors were trying very, very hard to stay within the protocol so that, so that we could have the horse shows and everybody could still have fun, but feel that they were safe and we weren't, you know, putting people at, at a high risk. And um, I guess the most... Um, Impressive part of that whole thing for me was I, I was um, honored to serve on the panel for the dressage festival and the young horse championships in August at Lamplight okay. and a young lady who was riding in the young rider championships, you know, the top 12 in the country was the highlight of her young life. Mm-hmm. Uh, rode the first day and then heard later that day that she received a phone call that she had been in contact with someone oh. who tested positive. Right. And this kid who was set somewhere, 17, 18, somewhere in that age range, um, called show management and said, you know, I don't think I should come back. She did the right thing. It was, you know, and a teenager, that's, not always the easiest thing. She did the right thing. She had someone else come back to the showgrounds to get her horse so that she was not even on the grounds again and lost her opportunity to carry on with the show. And then the next day received notice that it was a false alarm. Ouch. Um, uh. That particular young lady posted on Facebook about her disappointments, but that she did feel she had, you know, she was glad she did what she did, but she was very disappointed. And as a judge, we normally don't comment on people's results and that kind of thing. It's sort of frowned upon. But I will admit that I commented commented on her post and I told her that what she did that weekend was way more important than any ribbon she could have ever won because she put the safety of herself and everyone else ahead of of ribbon. Mm -hmm. And that was a big testimony to who she was becoming as a young adult. Very good. That was my life. Yeah. Yeah. 
So good modeling, good modeling. It, well, good and good for you for we we call it giving a little rub on the forehead. Um, you, you know, good for you for giving her a stroke for doing that too, and and that's very. That's very mature of you as well. I appreciate that because, you know, rules are rules. Dressage people, I think, follow more rules than I'll ever learn. So <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I always joke that, you know, if I want good directions to someplace, I ask somebody who's in dressage because you guys are amazing. <laughs> but, but, but I also have reasons to stay on course. <laughs> that's right. You, you, you have letters to go with it. But anyway, you created a course online too. And I really wanted to get to this too before we run out of time. But tell me about about what what kind of course did you imagine that was lacking out there that you you felt it important to put online? Well, it it kind of came to me through this whole COVID environment we were in. I I've been teaching writing lessons virtually for about eight years, but needless to say, this year the number of virtual lessons I taught skyrocketed. A lot of the clinic locations I normally travel to had me do it with them. Uh, from afar, and students even in this area also had me do it. I attended more virtual meetings than I can even count of with trying to deal with this whole concept of could we go forward with the shows and such. And then I also did a few seminars and presentations uh, uh, via Zoom and, and online. And while I was doing all of this, it suddenly hit me that our discipline hasn't really used the online platform um, very effectively for an education platform. And especially in these times when travel was not even possible for a period of time, now it's, it's complicated and a lot of people are not comfortable traveling yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the idea of giving people more opportunity to improve their education at home. Some people for a period of time couldn't even go to their barn and be with their horse. Right. Depended on the situation. So I decided to create this, uh, it's called Wide Dressage Academy. And it's all an online platform. And all of the courses will be basically designed to enhance your experience with your horse. Not to replace it, but to enhance it. And the first course is, is, is has started but everything is pre-recorded so that the participants can watch the modules the training modules when it works for them middle of the night morning east coast west coast europe i have one student in mexico and one student in canada um and so they can do it whenever it works for them and they can do it, you know, if, if they don't get to it for 10 days, it doesn't matter because they can access the whole training module until May 2nd. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And it's been really fun. I will say it's put me on a huge learning curve. <laughs> um, the first course is talking about confirmation and movement and how important they are when you're buying and breeding and training your horse. And so many people don't know confirmation very well, and they don't know even the details of movement. And I've done many, many, many seminars over the years on this, and I can I can present the information in my sleep practically. But the idea of trying to figure out how to put it online, where it covers the material, but it's interesting to the participant, 
and understandable to the participant because they're not in the room with me and that kind of thing. That's been that's been a good learning curve for me. I've I've learned a lot. It's it's kind of been fun for me too. I bet. Communication is always the toughest part, but that's, you know, the fact that you had to work hard to learn these things probably will translate into having a great online presence as well, because you're going to hear those questions in their heads before they even know to ask them. It's been fun. To, the, the, the platform I'm using is really an amazing program, and and they're, they're allowed to go in and put discussion in, in each uh, module, and it's really been fun to, to see the questions that come up. And we have a Facebook group page for everyone in the course. And uh, people are posting what they're doing because I've given them homework assignments so that they can learn how to do the things I'm teaching to really get to know the horse's confirmation and movement. And uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun to see people interact and, and the questions that come through and and then when I give the answers, then other people pop in, and it, it's been a it's been kind of fun. It's been how new, people, but great. yeah, great. So how do ahead. people find it? How do people find that website? Uh, it's widedressageacademy.com, and it's W Wide Dressage. It's like my last name. I thought um, Yeah. So okay. I I. Well, I one of my students once said to me, she said, I love the fact that you don't just tell me how, but you always tell me why. And one day, I, and I've been, I've called my husband why as a nickname since before we were married. One day I went, ah, that could be the name of my business because they go hand in hand. True. <laughs> so that's true. Ended up with WideDressageAcademy.com. Wide okay, so people can find it there. Can listeners of Horsemanship Radio get on there and tootle around a little bit and see it? Absolutely. You can go onto the website and there's uh, there's a video and there's a course synopsis. You can kind of see what it's about. People can join in in midstream. It, there's, uh, it, it has started, but you're you're not let, you're never late for class. Okay, <laughs> that's another <laughs> good thing. Uh, I tried to sleep through geology my freshman year in college every year, so maybe that's what made me to go this route. <laughs> that's right. But, can you wear sweats? Um, can you wear sweats when you're? You can wear sweats. Okay, you good. can do it in bed. You can do it on a. You can't. Uh, I don't think you could do it on an airplane. Yeah, actually, you probably can do it on an airplane. Plane. <laughs> the only thing I haven't been able to do with Wi-Fi on an airplane is live stream. So yeah. you could probably do it. On probably yeah. a little unstable. If you're traveling. No, prob- probably a little yeah. unstable. But yeah, no, that's great. I hope people will go and, and look that up. I know I will. And you've got lots of subjects, so I'd love to have you back sometime, Christy. Sure, it'd be great. I really appreciate you having me. It's been a fun conversation. Yeah, always good talking horses, isn't it? It is. that A life without them would be pretty empty, I think. Pretty boring. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in mind. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, are Mustangs different from domestic horses? 
You have a great love and a very special attention for Mustangs, and you've trained a lot of them. How are they different from domestic horses, and why are they so special? Monty's answer. One should remember that Mustangs are feral and not just wild horses. These horses were wild in Africa before domestication in Spain and Portugal. They were brought across a narrow strip of water to work the cattle in that part of the world. The Spanish explorers brought them to the western United States to work the cattle for the leather they produced. They are intelligent, athletic, and if properly treated, can love their work. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, and we just added Horsemanship 101 twice more in the first quarter of this year. So we added March 20 and May 3. Write that down for the popular Horsemanship 101. That's an introduction to the revolutionary methods that Monty discovered as a teenager studying wild horses in the desert of Nevada. And for those new to horses, they love this uh, as well, returning after a long break maybe or trying to overcome fear maybe. Horsemanship 101 has been super popular. That's one of those Horsemanship 101 you know how riding instructors and coaches and teachers, you can never have enough of the basics. Go back to the basics. Yeah. That's, it's a course that for anybody, it's going to help you. It's whether, whether you are a high-level rider, someone hasn't ridden for a long time and got out of horses because you went off and got college and raised a family, someone who's never been around horses and you want to get started. It's the basics that everybody needs and everybody needs to review. So. That's my opinion. There you go. Absolutely right. Not only does it build your confidence on the ground, which a lot of people kind of lose their mojo on the ground. They might kind of remember the saddle and feel comfortable up there sometimes, sometimes not. But groundwork is one of those things where you feel a little more vulnerable when you're a little older and not as, you know, spry as you used to be or whatever, too. So Horsemanship 101 really delves into both of those, groundwork and we, we don't put them in the saddle, but we talk a lot about the psychology of horses and flight animals and all that too and do a lot of breathing exercise. Yeah, so it's really it's really popular. It's yeah. a great way to kick it off again. Or mother-daughter, father-daughter, kind of, you know, all those things. Girlfriend weekend, it's really fun. Uh, and it's a one-day thing, so it's really easy. But then we have, in February, as we speak, one to five is the Gentling Wild Horse course going on right now, which is really fun. So, Jen, you'll notice we turned it into a one-week for the winter. Just a one-week, because we have some... <laughs> We have some bucking horses. They're they're actually bred to buck coming off the mountaintop. But they're so chill and quiet. We said, well, let's just make this one week because we're going to get so far (laughs) with these wild horses that people are going to bored, you know, by the second week. So we thought, well, this will be fun. We'll have a play. And so this is one through five, February one through five. Then February eight through 12. I don't want anybody to miss this. So tell your friends, Monty's special training. We usually do this once a year. But we're putting it in February as well because of COVID. Because we didn't get that many people in August who could normally travel. Yeah, yeah, we have a real packed house 
internationally. So for this one, we're going to be doing a lot of filming. So you might get yourself on on camera. But um, we're going to be doing a lot of filming lessons and it'll be real intimate, I think. So 14th through 16th of February, we have the Intercourse Module 2, which is the join-up course. The 17th through the 19th, we have the Intercourse Module 1, which you'll remember is the first steps to Monty's methods. And then 21 to 23, we have the Intercourse Module 3. That's the long-lining portion. And then we rotate again, 24 through 26. This is the prep for the exams, Intercourse Module 4. And remember, Remember, an introductory course is, a, is really 10 days long, but when you put it in the modules, it becomes these 12. So then we have in March, we have a horse sense and healing for our veterans and first responders. That's March 5 through 7. And then 12 through 14, we have the intercourse module 1 again, first steps to Monty's methods. And 15 to 26, we have the introductory course of horsemanship. That's that 10 day that I was talking about. It goes over two weeks with a weekend in between. And then on March 20, we have the horsemanship 101 again. And so that's the one we added. And then April, we have from one to three, we have the intercourse module two, join up, and four to six, the module three, long lining. And stretching out to May, May three, we have another Horsemanship 101. You see yeah. how popular they are? It's, yeah. it's a lot going on there. And if you couldn't commit all of this to memory or it all got kind of blurry because there's so much yeah. available, if you want to talk to somebody at Flag is Up Farms about, this is my situation, which courses should I take? What order should I take them in? What would be great for my situation? You can just call them at Flag is Up Farms and somebody can talk to you. It's 805-688-6288. And you can also go to MontyRoberts.com because the calendar is right there on the website along with gobs and gobs of other great information. And we love your feedback. Great way to give us feedback here on Horsemanship Radio is to hop on over to social media. Facebook, it's Monty Roberts. Twitter and Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Great way to interact and keep up to date with everything that's going on at Flag is Up Farms. And have the app at hand. That way you can have the Horsemanship Radio downloaded to your phone automatically. You'll never miss any of them. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. That's where you're going to find the app and download it to your Android or your iPhone. You can also listen to all of the podcasts on the Horse Radio Network via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. And there are lots of them now, too. Many thanks to our sponsors. That's MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.HorseRadioNetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 